1: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, November 12th. Apologies yesterday for the No Mini Break podcast Monday. It was just a technical difficulty thing. I really just left a court at my house, so I was unable to record Sunday night or Monday early. Uh, so unfortunately, we do apologize for that. But joining me to break down what was a wondrous weekend of tennis in the tennis world, one of the few action-packed weekends we have left in the 2019 season, the writer of our College Contender series going live right now on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You may also know him as the co-host of the Wednesday Mini Break Podcast with Jamie McDonald. I, of course, affectionately know him as Matt the Cracks the Stokowiak. Maddie. welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast.
0: Yeah, man, you mentioned it. I mean, it's, it's getting to be kind of sad. You know, we don't really have that much tennis left in 2019. We're going to have a bit of a break. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, it was definitely an enjoyable weekend, one of the last uh, couple that we're going to get here.
1: It's devastating that I have to call you and Chris and be like, all right, we need to talk college tennis this week (laughs) because otherwise I don't know what else we're going to, you know, we're running out of topics to do unless we want to start our off-season previews. And it's like no one's ready for that yet. So I know, I know. Yeah, I agree. And as I mentioned, we are going to be talking with Chris Hallioris later today as we are going to be doing our continuation of the Tuesday College Contender Series here both on the mini break and on our website, crackedrackets.com. This week we are talking about USC men's tennis, the Uh, ended last season ranked number 8 in the ITA poll obviously a big story for them this year new head coach Peter Smith the 5 time national champion stepping down from the program being replaced by former assistant Brett Macy I emphasize Macy because Matt Chris and I recorded earlier today and we butchered that pronunciation a million times got the chance to apologize to the coach directly as Chris and I also as part of this college contender series got the chance to interview coach Macy talk to him about his 2000 20 trojan team bringing back all of that talent what he thinks about them but we do want to start out apologies to you coach coach macy world it's coach brett macy of usc matt we did butcher that but coach macy agrees with us this usc team is not one to sleep on
0: yeah man i i do apologize for butchering that name i i take full responsibility <laughs> I, sh- I should have known better um but yeah no it's uh usc man they're gonna be a hell of a team
1: no it's like one so we're blessed uh we, we get Berrettini instead of getting to butcher Hechanov or Kachanov the entire time. It's like, no, instead we're going to do Massey instead of Macy. So we find a way. You know, the tennis world, it's all about balance. The tennis karma gods, they even everything out. But with that in mind, as I mentioned, a ton of tennis to recap. We have uh, so many events from this past weekend. Obviously, uh, we had uh, the Australian Open wildcard Challenge going on right now in the USTA Pro Circuit for the men's and women's side. Michael Moe gets a title in Knoxville. That's something we'll talk about in a little bit. The Fed Cup season coming to an end. Ashley Barty, world number one, almost had the perfect uh, storybook ending to her number one year end campaign. But unfortunately, France trifles that. They end up upsetting. So we'll talk about at that at the end. ATP World Tour Finals going on this week. But the place we have to start, Matt. The place I think our relationship started in terms of the tennis podcast universe when we joined it that's with the next gen finals and of course this being the third inaugural uh, uh, third inaugural inaugurals the first this being the third time they have done the event uh, it's something we've grown very accustomed to on our schedule watching the best eight or eight of the best 21 and under men's players on the ATP side battle it out in a world tour final S circumstance now of course there's funky things there's no ad scoring it's shorter sets. Uh, there's a lot of different—there's technology, stats available, a lot of different things. So there's all of that, and we talked about that a bunch last week. But in the end, it ultimately comes down to the fact that we get to watch the young players face off. And even though there was no Shapovalov, even though there was no FAA, even though there's no Stefano Tsitsipas in this event— Come the final, I think fans everywhere got to see the match they wanted, and that, of course, was the young Italian superstar, a guy who has come on so strong as of late down the home stretch. That's young Italian 18-year-old Yannick Sinner, who in this event comes in as the Italian wild card. He wins his group. He moves on to beat uh, Miomir Kecmanovic 2-4, 4-1, 4-2, 4-2 in the semifinals. Then he faced off against an Alex Dimenauer who has been playing so well down the home stretch who found himself in the top 20 of the ATP rankings at the start of this match. And it didn't matter. The Young Sinner, a four-two, four-one, four-two straight set winner for the Young Italian. You look at him right now in the live rankings. Does he get any points from this? I do not believe so. Uh, but you look at where he is sitting right now as he finishes this year. He's at a career high, number 92. Now he's listed to be playing in a challenger this week. But for an 18-year-old inside the top 100 to beat Alex Dimenauer and all the other top youngsters the way that he did— you see the tennis Twitter prognosticator saying, oh, this guy's going to be in the top 10 come the end of next year. And no one's saying that, but special, special talent we have, Matt, in the young Italian.
0: Yeah, no, this guy made a statement, a, a very big statement. It was so much fun to watch. And he really reminds me, like, remember a couple years ago, FAA, and we just knew, we saw a young FAA, and we were like, man, this guy has the tools, right? Physically, mentally, you know, the whole package, he's got everything it takes to be a top player in the world. And Sinner's the same way. I mean, this guy has all of those same tools. I think he's just going to continue to rise up the ranks. I mean, we don't have to talk about top 10, you know, any of that crap. But he is going to continue to rise. And, man, 2020 is going to be fun, man. It's so sad that this year's got to end. I'm ready for 2020 already.
1: Yeah, well, for Sinner, look, he did have some success on the ATP Tour down the home stretch. Obviously, he goes to Antwerp, a 250 event, beats Monfils, beats Tiafo, loses to Stan, but makes a semifinal there. Beats Schreiber in ATP 500 before losing to Monfils on his year this year in terms of all challenger matches and everything. He's 45 and 20. He has four titles to his name. Again, inside the top 100. I'm sure in the future we'll talk about how this guy skipped the junior circuit to just start playing pro events as soon as possible. And yeah, you can't deny, it. as a ball striker, as a guy who can generate pure power as a risk taker, it's elite. I mean the guy can generate if he can if he gets a clean look at the ball and Alex Dimenauer, as great as he is as fast as he is as good as he is under pressure he will leave a ball short and just the way Sinner played over these last three months, you can't do that because he's just taking so many risks. He's playing his best tennis right now, and it showed. He's a special talent. Now, I agree with you. I'm not going to say this guy... I mean, so the running joke all week is, well, the last two next-gen champions made the Australian Open semifinals, and, like, I don't think Yannick Sinner's played a single slam in his career yet. So to expect that out of him in Australia is ridiculous. Like, I would agree I would agree with you, but I this end-of-year run. You remember two years ago when Medvedev made that push at the end of the season? I believe he won Winston-Salem down the home stretch. This was 2017. He had a couple of other good results, notable Masters results, where he didn't win, but he he won a round or two or he just got his feet wet. I think that's the sort of push we're seeing from Sinner here. So next year, I think for him... Make a dim an hour-like leap that he did this year. Don't expect the pass jump from top 70 to number, you know, 5. But work your way into the top 20. Be a consistent threat. He's still got to travel now, week in, week out. Hopefully get into 250 events, 500 events, because he's still only 94-ish in the rankings. Um, There's still a lot of projection, and that's why I want everyone to be careful. But yeah, physical skills this week a clear winner was Yannick Sinner and the Italian people who cheered him on tremendously all week long.
0: Yeah. And he's going to get into events, right? I mean, top hundred, he's going to be able to make the slams. And if he wins a couple of rounds, I mean, one, two rounds in a, in a grand slam, his rankings just going to continue to rise. He's going to get in all the big events. He'll be in two fifties. He'll get into the five hundreds. And I think just with an opportunity, that's how he's going to be able to shoot up. And it's it's funny you brought this up, man. I, I do have to correct you. The, the Medvedev run, that was last year. That was not 2017. That was 2018.
1: No, I'm talking two years ago, though, when he... I thought he won it the year before as
0: so well. He, Am I crazy? He won, he won. You're crazy. He won Winston Salem in 2018. <laughs> I was crazy. there, um, and it seems like a while ago, but that was only a little bit over a year ago. No, it,
1: but so then that's not the run. I, I, I'll have to look it up because that wasn't the run I was thinking of. I was thinking about him because I feel like he came on strong two years ago. I feel like I watched him lose in qualifying in Cincinnati, um, and then just. That might have the Winston
0: Salem. The Winston Salem win was last year, I guarantee you, because I was there. That I know, but um, yeah, no, you might you might have been thinking about uh, about the year before, Um, but yeah, man, Sinner. I mean, I I love this guy, I really do. I mean, he's got the tools. His his ball striking off both wings. I mean, he can move. He he's got it all, man. I I really think in the difference between him and a guy like Demon, you know, Demon plays very defensively. Whereas you saw Sinner just step in and take balls and just rip balls past him. And that's, I mean, that's kind of another level. We see Demon now as top 20. I mean, look, the, the ceiling is way up there for Yannick Sinner. And, and look, we're not going to talk about top 10, what, top 20, whatever it is. He's probably not going to make the semis of Australia. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. I wouldn't count See, I on could that. see
1: Demon Hour doing it.
0: Yeah, no, not Sinner, though. I'm talking about Sinner. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. I'm talking about Yannick Sinner. So I I wouldn't count on that, but uh, you watch, man. I mean, he is just going to steadily rise. I can promise you that, just like FAA did.
1: Well... Here's what I love about Sinner, and then we can move on to another guy. But in the semifinal against Kasiminovich, you know, Kasiminovich only faces eight break points to uh, Sinner's nine, but Sinner saves eight of those nine break points. Kasiminovich only saves five of eight. In the final against Dimanour, not only is he winning 74% of his first serve points, 59% of his second serve points, holding Dimanour to three of 13 on his own second serve points, but hour faces 8 break points again. Sinner faces 9. In this match, hour 5 of 8 in terms of saving those. Sinner saved all nine break points he faced, and there 's a little luck that goes into that, of course there is it 's a no ad format, right? If you go to an ad point there, what if Dimenour wins that point? you go back and forth that 's what you know that 's the physicality of tennis that 's what we all love. But there was no doubt that in this match, in the big moments, this was a guy who went after his shots and he made a lot of them and he 's a special talent, and I think we can all acknowledge that. But you look at some of the other guys I mean on the flip side for Alex Dimenour, he finishes his year now thirty eight and twenty three titles on the year. Ranked number 18, beats Tiafo comfortably, wins his group matches comfortably. Guy's a stud. I mean, right? We, we agree on that. Big, if, would you be, I feel like the guy of this next-gen crew to continue that semi-finalist at the Slam in Australia, he's the guy to circle. Like, it wouldn't shock me if the draw broke right to see him in a semifinal. It would, I wouldn't be like, oh, I expected this, but I believe it
0: yeah I mean, I don't know about this like this Australian open coming up I, I I don't know if I'm ready to go there, um but yeah, no, I mean, he's a stud man. I love everything about the guy he's trending in the right direction and he can absolutely compete he can compete with anybody in the world yeah.
1: Without question. And so that's why he's going to be so exciting to watch moving forward. Uh, again, Francis Tiafo looked good here. Mjolnir Kasmanovic looked good here. A lot of guys look good here. There's a lot of young, talented players on the men's circuit, and it's fun that the next-gen uh, finals continue to highlight that. Would love to see the women do that moving forward as well. But we did see some fantastic women's teams tennis, and that's where I want to move next. On to Fed Cup now. Uh, Matt, I know you didn't get to catch a lot of this, but I was up Saturday night watching Ashley Barty in Australia take on Kiki Ledenevich in France. It's one all in rubbers. They get to a third set. And to anyone who says team tennis doesn't matter to these people, that Fed Cup doesn't matter, Davis Cup doesn't matter – watch the third set between Mladenovic and Barty in Barty you have someone coming off of a world tour finals victory year end number 1 singles ranking versus Mladenovic, who won the doubles but still you know has not had that great of a singles year and Ashley Barty undefeated she wins O and O on the first day of Fed Cup play now Mladenovic beats Tamijanovic one and one to her credit but Ashley Barty has a million reasons to be considered the favorite going into that match and the tentativeness she played with, the tightness of the moment. I mean, Medvedev served for the third set at 5-4, gets broken at love without actually having a chance to win any of those points in her service game. But... Barty was just—she wasn't attacking. She wasn't moving forward. She was afraid. And in those tiebreakers, Medvedev just went for broke. She decided, you know what? I'm going to lose this swinging. And just to see that tension, the pressure, the atmosphere, the crowd was so into it. France traveled so well down to Perth for this Fed Cup t- final. I just love team tennis. And to anyone who didn't get a chance to watch those final highlights, go watch it come down to a sudden death, doubles, rubber, two-all, winner-take-all in a Fed Cup final with a crowd on its feet— that's how great tennis can be when in the team format. And I thought Fed Cup stood that. Now, for Barty, what a heartbreak to end the year. You know, she was 7 and 0 in Davis Cup going or Fed Cup going into her last two matches. She loses the last two. Her team loses 3-2 in the final. That's brutal. And I don't think that'll put a damper on her year. I'm curious what you think about that match, but uh, about that match. We also see Julian Benito in the celebration last night broke his foot. So that speaks to how much this matters to these people, right? I mean, Julian Benito's out there celebrating so hard. A foot is broken. Clearly the French team cares about this moment. These players care, but I love this team tennis, man. I'm curious both what you thought about it and what you think for Barty. Is it a heartbreaking, bittersweet? And you know, how does she prevent this from dampening her off season?
0: Yeah, I mean, to your first question, this is why we love team tennis, right? Because we know that these players, they're playing for something other than just themselves. I mean, they've got a team, they've got a nation behind them. So it's a different pressure. It really is. And you can see players, they react to it differently. I mean, Barty got a little tentative. She knew that, you know, the magnitude of that moment and Mladenovic just stepped up and took it. I mean, you love to see things like that. Um, So, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, the Fed Cup, Davis Cup, you know, even Laver Cup, um, you know, those team-style events, you just see that the players really care, and it's it's certainly fun to watch. But, I mean, for Barty, obviously she's going to be very disappointed, not, you know, just for herself, but her team, Australia. But at the end of the day, I mean, she's had a phenomenal year. I mean, I don't think this, you know, this doesn't ruin anything. It was a very close match. I mean, Mladenovic is a good player. It's not like we somebody that we've never heard of, right? I mean, we know that she's she can play well. She's more, you know, uh, I guess I could say of a, a doubles player. Um, but she's had really good singles results throughout her career as well. So it's not that big of a shock. Barty's going to be just fine, man. She's going to start next year. She's going to be highly ranked, you know, at the top of the game. She's going to come out. And, you know, I expect her to make a serious run at the Australian Open in, in front of those same home fans. I do. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be the
1: perfect way to get over it. But two things can be true with respect, Matt. I think Ashley Barty can be just fine. But I also think Bladenovich's win over her is a tremendous upset. Yeah, no, I it is. I don't think anyone. so.
0: For sure, yeah. tremendous upset. But it's not like it's not like it was somebody that we've never no, heard of. It's, it's, yeah. not turn, it's not
1: a career turning. It's not a career turning point at all. Like I, I completely agree with you there. But it, it stings. There's no doubt that stings. And you wonder for Barty, who had it all. So you know, the idea of complacency. Okay, I've been number one in the world. Now what? What? How much more do I have to reach? Well, a loss like this is a kick in the derriere. It's like never mind. I got to get back on track because I still have things to accomplish. So yeah. Maybe the sneaky truth is that it's a right. good thing for her off season. Right. Yep. Yeah. I like that. Well then one other sneaky truth, someone coming off of a hard time, uh, that obviously had a huge bounce back this past week, and then we'll get into our discussion about the ATP World Tour finals. Michael Moe, who in Knoxville or in Charlottesville last week got DQ'd after he Tomahawked his racket It hit a ref Uh, Obviously that's an automatic You're out of here And he You could tell In the moment You watch the video He's distraught You can tell He just lost His composure He lost his focus What he thought Was a gentle toss Of the racket Ended up hitting A line judge And obviously No one wants to see Anything happen like that But it, it, you know, that sort of moment, especially for a guy in Mo who had been struggling all year long, who had fallen outside of the top 300, who had fallen from the echelon, see his peers like Tiafo, Fritz, uh, Opelka win their first ATP Tour titles, Tommy Paul, a guy who's also struggled with injuries but now finds himself in the top 100. You know, Michael Mo hadn't had that season. And so, you know, for that sort of moment, you talk about a turning point. He talked about, uh, this weekend what that was like for him his how his team his family helped him get through that he bounces back wins the challenge challenger in knoxville this week now finds himself in first place in the australian open wildcard challenge uh, could find himself in a main draw of an australian open talk about a way to kick off the 2024 season for michael Moe. what a turnaround what a feel-good story for the guy
0: yeah, no. I mean, he he definitely let his frustrations get the better of him and and I know, man. I mean, I've been there. I've done some things on the tennis court that I wish I hadn't. Um, you know, nothing nothing to that extreme where I've struck, you know, a, a lines person with a with a racket, but um, you know, we've all done things that we regret on on the tennis court and it is a tough sport. I mean, it really is. And it just you know, it's one of those things I I know I know how frustrating it can get, but you just can't do something like that. I hope he learns from it, and you know what? The way that he did rebound and come back to win Knoxville, I mean, that's that just shows me, you know, that mentally he was able to put it behind him and go back out on the court and just play his game and play well. Um, so definitely happy for him. You know, if he can learn a good lesson from that, you know, and and he never ends up doing anything like that again throughout his career then you know what? Great. Um, And you know, in regards to 2020, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a boost. I mean, he's going to have to reset though at at the start of the year and, you know, start over again in 2020. But um, for him to win a tournament like this after the 2019 that he's had, it's got to make him feel pretty good because it has been pretty rough. I mean, I think going into the year, we expected probably a little bit more out of him, right?
1: Yeah, it's huge for him. I mean, this is a guy who a couple of years ago won this challenge, found himself inside the top one hundred at the end of the season with an Australian Open wild card to boot, and you know, no one has questioned if physically Michael Moe has the tools to succeed, it's just evident. Just watch the serve, watch the movement, watch how solid he is from the baseline on a slow, hard court playing that. just It's going to be tough to do, and he's put together those stretches, but whether it's injuries or just rough patches, he hasn't been able to put together a full season, and so for him to get this result at the year-end, you know, to beat a guy in Darian King and Roy Smith, Alex Kovacevic indoors, I mean, he was the beneficiary of those year-end crazy draws, of course, but then in the final, he beats a guy in number eight seed, Chris O'Connell, who's won like 70 plus matches this year on the challenger tour. So huge for Michael Moe, a guy who's had indoor success before, but to continue to build off of that, it's, it's a building block going, moving forward because he doesn't have a lot to defend in 2020, but he's got this now in his back pocket. If somehow he doesn't win that the wild card, he should at the very least now find himself close to, if not into Australian open qualies. That's a huge win for Michael Moa, some solace in what was otherwise a miserable year.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I still think he's going to have to reset. You know, we're going to, we have the offseason coming up. He's going to have to hit the reset button, you know, and start over in 2020. I, this, this could maybe carry over. Um, it's, it's possible, but regardless, even if it does, he, he'll have to hit that reset button uh, next year and, you know, hopefully put together a, a good stretch.
1: Well, look, we'll get to see him play this week in Houston. We have two American challengers this week. He's going to play Ray Sarmiento tomorrow. We saw Govinanda take out Oliver Crawford, 4-3 and three today there. A lot of great, fun American action in Houston. We've also got the event in Champaign as well. So, fun challengers. But, of course, the action taking everyone's attention this week. The main event, the last thing we want to talk about, Maddie, The ATP World Tour Finals in London in the O2 Arena now. Obviously, this being the last event, everyone pumped up on the calendar. But it's not often that you see Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic in the same group here at the ATP Finals. Uh, It's him, Djokovic, uh, I believe Berrettini, and team. And then in your other group, you have Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, uh, Alex Virev, and Rafael Nadal, who comes in with an ab injury, obviously, but still locked into the event. We have not discussed this event yet, so let's start with day one and the people who are going to play tomorrow real quick. Sunday's matches. Dominic team knocks out Roger Federer, 7-5, 7-5. Now, if it's the second year in a row that Federer has lost his first group play match, but, Matt, watching this match, it just felt different. People are talking about the courts being fast, and that may be true, but this was the first time I've ever really seen someone make Roger Federer look a step slow, and it's one throwaway match. I know that. The guy had a boatload of success over these past three years to write off anyone who thinks he's close to retirement but you know, it was crazy. I know it was seven five, seven five. But just either a Dominic team just hits the cover off of the ball, or B Roger Federer really just you know he's thirty eight. Maybe it starts to show a little bit here towards the end of the season.
0: Yeah, but the match that I go back to is Indian Wells. Remember, Dominic team won Indian Wells and beat sure. Roger Federer there Has a winning final. record
1: I, against Roger Federer in his career.
0: Yeah, exactly. So this was very similar to to that. I I think. You know, I don't want to say that Roger's just a step slow now. I mean, we saw this result happen earlier in the year. Um, So Dominic team man, just he has that ability to hit through a guy like Roger Federer. I mean, it's crazy. Almost nobody can do it. But Dominic team possesses enough power that when he's on and his shots are fallen, man, I mean, he literally can knock Federer back. And you know I'm not going to say blow him off the court, but just really use that power to his advantage and 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 knock fed back and that's what happened. I mean, Roger, you know he'll get a little defensive with the backhand, you know, trying to slice and everything. it's just it, it's tough, man, and Dominic team is showing, and we've talked about this when it comes to clay, yes, I think he's number two in the world, no question behind Rafa, and he's going to soon he will be number one on that surface. And for hard courts, he's right up there as well, man. I mean, this guy on hard is always a threat. It just comes down to the grass court season when he disappears a little bit. But, yeah, no, he's playing really well towards the end of this season. I'm I'm looking for him in early 2020. Let's see what he does at the Australian Open. I mean, with results like this, let's see how he finishes this tournament, first of all. Um, but, I mean, when it comes to the hard court slams... Aussie Open, U.S. Open. I want him making deep runs. Very deep.
1: Without question. Look, when you play a guy like Roger Federer, what do you have to do? You have to protect your first serve. He won 62% of those first serve points. uh, Won 63% of his second serve points, which is even more important. But you have to attack Federer. You can't play it on Federer's terms. And to team's credit, holds Roger to 10 of 21 on second serve points. Breaks Roger three times. Played an aggressive match. And that's what you have to do. And he's just clearly not afraid anymore. And it's why he has a winning record over Roger. It's why we've seen him succeed, you know, make a major final, win a Masters event, make Masters finals on multiple surface. Uh, yeah, Dominic team looks very, very good. And even if he doesn't win this event, just to see the comfort level he plays, that this win doesn't feel like a fluke anymore speaks to the jump he made this season. And look, team's going to play Djokovic tomorrow, who looked lights out in his 6-2-6-1 win over Mateo Berrettini, who, with all due respect, Berrettini certainly deserves to be in this field. He played his way in, but just a cut below the rest of the guys, respectfully. And look, Djokovic, he's on a mission now. He wins out. He ends the year world number one. It's fitting that, in my opinion, the best player of the decade should be on a path to ending the year world number one in this, the final year of the decade. Any reason for you to think Djokovic is going to have any trouble throughout this tournament?
0: Um... I mean, mean, yeah, let me
1: rephrase that. Let me rephrase that, because obviously he'll have trouble. All these guys are great. Let me try that again. Any reason for you to consider anyone else the favorite?
0: No, no, I, I don't. I still, I would consider him the favorite, but I mean, I think there will be trouble at some point. I mean, there's too many guys in this tournament. I mean, look, it's the top eight, right? So, I mean, there's too many guys that can cause problems. Uh, but he's still the favorite, in my opinion. I think he should be. The way he played against Berrettini was the way that I expected him to play. It's a bad matchup for Matteo Berrettini. Joker can just neutralize all that power. He moves too well. He's gonna dig too many balls back, um, and the errors are gonna start to creep in for Berrettini. And I, I knew that was gonna happen. I mean, it, it's just, it's a bad, bad matchup. Um, so yeah, Novak's playing, playing well, man. And we know on a hard court. I mean, we know what this guy can do. So. Um, No surprises there with that match. Two and one. The first set may have been a little bit closer than score indicated. Second set, probably not so much. Um, But I just, I wish it was a little bit closer. I mean, I wish Berrettini could have hung in there for like a three and four type match. Four and four. Um, You know, but we'll see how he does the rest of the tournament.
1: Yeah, I... It was a terrible matchup. I agree with you. I just think Djokovic so comfortable moving someone side to side. Berrettini doesn't want to be doing that. He wants to be slamming away. He wants to be the one dictating. And Djokovic did not let him do that at all. But yeah, Berrettini's got weapons indoor hard court. Of course, he could serve his way uh, to a victory. Just fires enough one hand uh, serves at the one handed back end of Dominic team. Who knows what happens? Uh, Federer as well. So yeah, it's going to be you know a fun match moving forward. I guess you look at. Uh, those matches in the group tomorrow, just for the quick preview. Federer-Berrettini, I believe they have... uh, Just what are your initial thoughts while I look up the head-to-head?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with Fed. I mean, there's no way I... I I mean, look, you know my guy Berrettini. I pick him almost every time, but not against Roger. I mean, that's that's an exception. You know, Roger, Novak, Rafa, those top guys, um, they played a match at Wimbledon. It was an absolute blowout. Roger got him good. Um, So... You know, I think Berrettini just really has to serve well if he wants to stay in there. He's got to be hitting first serves because Roger will make him pay. If he has to hit second serves, I just... Roger will make him pay. And I think, you know, for Fed on his own serve, he should be able to get through his service games relatively easily as long as he's serving at a decent percentage. Um, So I'll take Roger in this one. I think it'll be... Closer than the, the Djokovic-Berrettini uh, match, but still, I'm going to go straight sets for Raj.
1: Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, they played once before at Wimbledon. Federer one, 2-2 two and two victor, now Grass is not an indoor hardcore, and Berrettini's obviously made a U.S. Open <laughs> semifinal since then, excuse me, um, hiccuping into the mic, that's what everyone wants to hear, um, but... Yeah, it's just Roger Federer, there's the bounce back, right? He loses this match. Get ready for the bounce back. He's going to be fighting like crazy uh, to work his way, and he wants that Djokovic match to be a winner-take-all, and so do not expect a letdown from Roger Federer here. Uh, I think our other matchup, though, is the one I'm more interested in. I agree with you. I'm going to take Federer in straight sets, but Dominic Team versus Novak Djokovic. Now, Djokovic coming into the match 6-3 and three career head-to-head, but while the last four have all been on clay, Team has won three of the last four matchups Djokovic's win coming 6 and 6 this year semifinals in Madrid the last time they played on the hard court uh 2016 ATP finals Djokovic won 6 7 6 0 oh, 6 2 I mean Djokovic has everything to play for but Dominic team is coming in confident right he got a year end title on an indoor hard court in Geneva uh not or not in Geneva in Austria not too long ago so he's looking good uh I don't know who you got here Matty.
0: I mean, I'm not going to pick against Joker. I I just, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, could this be one of those matches where an upset does happen? I mean, I think it could be. It's, this is possible upset alert, but I still don't think so. I'm going to pick Novak. I think it could definitely go three sets. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, here's the difference, right? Between Berrettini and team. Dominic team moves a lot better than Matteo Berrettini and his backhand is significantly better. Um, So that's where, but they both play power games and Novak is the ultimate neutralizer. And so I just, I'm not going to pick against him. I think it's going to be a fun match to watch. I'll, I'll go Novak in three sets.
1: Yeah, I think three sets is definitely the call. I mean, it's tough. It's really tough. This is going to be a good match. I think Dominic team, I would say he comes in with better form, but Djokovic just won pairs. I think Djokovic is all in on that year-end world number one. I'm going to stick with Djokovic here. Um, Look, I know you guys will be previewing the group tomorrow, you and Jamie, but... We did have some other matches go on today as well. Stefano Tsitsipas, 0-5, coming in a pair of 0-5 players against their rivals, getting the first wins of their career. Stefano Tsitsipas, 7-6-6-4 over Daniil Medvedev. Alex Zverev, 6-2-6-4 over Rafa. Now, Rafa didn't look great today, but Zverev, with that serve indoors, the way he was hitting his forehand down the line, that was one of those special moments. But I don't want to talk about that one. I do want to talk about Tsitsipas-Medvedev because today I mean Medvedev obviously has played a ton of tennis but you just the explosiveness of Stefano Tsitsipas his willingness and comfort to move forward in a big stage I mean it's just it you always forget like oh yeah like if you can hit a volley successfully I mean that's just so critical and so many of these guys just go up to the net and they don't know what they're doing and that is just not the case for Stefano Tsitsipas.
0: Yeah, and this was really big for him, man. I mean, Medvedev had owned Stefano You Sissipas. could see in
1: the roar he gave after winning, yes. he unleashed it.
0: Yes, this was a huge, it was like a bit of a mental hurdle, right? Because Medvedev had owned this matchup. I mean, this is like that rivalry that goes back to Miami last year or whenever when, you know, that bit of bad blood came out at the, at the handshake. And I love these two. I mean, when they play every single time, I'm watching. I'm in front of the TV, no question about it. But Medvedev had owned that matchup. There's no question. And so for Sitsipas to come out and win this at this kind of tournament in the fashion that he did, it was huge. I mean, he mentally needed to know and just for him to believe in himself that he could beat Daniil Medvedev on a big stage like this, very important match, I think. And, and we know that they're going to play a whole bunch more next year, you know, in, in the coming years. I mean, that's a given. These guys aren't going anywhere. So we will see these two play uh, many more times. But this was a big one, man. It really was mentally, I think, more than anything.
1: Well, it was grown man tennis. There's only one break of serve. What you love for CT pass 39 of 44 against on his first serve against a returner as quality as Daniil Medvedev. I mean, when you're only making 60 percent of your first serve, winning that many of them, that that's how you don't face a break point all day long. You know, Medvedev saves three of the four break points he faced probably served better overall. You know, made 68 versus of his first serves versus 60% for Tsitsipas. But Tsitsipas moved forward in the big moments. He put the pressure on Medvedev to hit the pass, and we are playing someone as good as Tsitsipas. That's really hard to do. So yeah, mentally, you love to see this for Tsitsipas. He's got the inside straight now, right? And we're going to get a tsitsipas Virev match. We're going to get a Zverev-Medvedev match. Every juicy next-gen matchup you want, this group has. Plus, they all get to play a struggling Rafa who's still looking for. His ever first ever uh, year-end world tour championship. I think this is the more fun of the two groups, and I think it's going to be really fun to monitor. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess at this stage, who are, who are your favorites? Who are you looking at? Tim? I mean, now the wins are too obvious. Who's the guy of the eight? If you had to say right now, tournament ends. Who are you going with?
0: I mean, I think you still got to go with Novak. I mean, I'm not going to pick. Yeah. I'm not going to pick against Novak, even though. I mean, Zverev is the defending champion and he plays well in London. It's something about this tournament that he shows up and I love it. I just, I wish we could see that at like some of the other Grand Slams throughout the year. Um, You know, so there are other contenders. Look, these are, these are the best players in the world. I mean, everyone's a contender, um, but, but Novak, I, I mean, there's nothing that I've seen so far where I would just, I would remove him from that favorite status. I just, I can't do it. Yeah,
1: I think that's fair. I think all of these guys look good and that's why it's going to be a really fun week of tennis, but yeah, Novak with a world number 1 on the line. Good luck betting against him.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, then with that in mind, man, any other thoughts on uh the weekend
0: of tennis the week ahead? I don't think so, man. It was a great weekend and, you know, for Rafa, Rafa's typically struggled in London as well. He has not played well, you know, historically over the years there, so his struggles continue. I mean, I don't know how big of an issue that ab injury really is. Uh, but I, I look for him to fight. I mean, you know, he's got matches against uh, Sitsipas and Medvedev coming up. He will fight, whether he's 100% or not. He's If he's out on the court, he's going to give it 110%. You better believe that. So, um, yeah, World Tour Finals, man. It's going to be fun, and, you know, it's just... Uh, hopefully we can enjoy some good tennis here before the season ends because it's coming up quick. Yeah,
1: I completely agree with you. It is. Uh, it's sad that we're already at this point of the year. Uh, it's like, what are we going to talk about for the next six weeks? And believe me, we have stuff planned, uh, mini break listeners. And part of that plan involves a lot of college tennis talk. And with that in mind, you know, I'm sure we're already over the hour mark in turn of totals, but I want to get you to our conversation about USC tennis. Welcome back to part two of our mini break podcast today. As it is a Tuesday, you know we are going to be talking college tennis. So before we begin West Off, give me a college contender sound effect, please. Interesting, it's going to be interesting to see what he goes with Stakoiak, but before we get into our conversation, I have to introduce the third member of this college contender preview panel, uh, the grandfather of cracked rackets, the, uh, you know, obviously Mississippi State turned Liberty slappy, and you know all of his work at college tennis ranks, Chris Hallioris, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast.
2: Oh, couldn't be happier to be here.
1: I'm going to just change up my intro every time i'm going to try and think of three different funny adjectives for you, and I'll work on that moving forward, I promise, but uh, oh sorry, a response
2: no I'm just gonna say, I was just gonna say i 'm gonna have to avoid sending pictures or it'll make it too easy
1: <laughs> the the cycling champion, the uh, king of the calves uh, i don't know yeah we'll, we'll see as we go along, but I know we have an interview coming up later, Chris, and as we have been doing every Tuesday, we will be previewing the top 10 men's teams as we get ready for the 2020 ITA NCAA men's tennis season. Uh, But it's one of those rare weeks where we have some individual results to talk about. So Matt, Chris, before we get into Matt's article for this week's College Contender Series, let's talk a little Oracle Masters. Obviously, uh, when we have an event like this, the top 34-ish players getting together all in one area... uh, We are able to take some gleams away from this, which teams look like they have depth up top, which teams have the strongest players up top, which teams maybe don't have the strength that we once thought they did. It's one of those rare moments where we can actually take some things away. So let's start with you, Matt, your takeaways from Oracle. What what was the big thing you took from this weekend?
0: Obviously, Ito is unbelievable, man. I mean, this guy right now is playing as well as anybody. That's two major tournaments in the fall that he's won. He obviously won in Tulsa and and now here um, in Newport Beach. So he is uh, he's really playing some good tennis. And we know obviously what Christian Sigsgard can do uh, for Texas as well. I think for their team though, we still have some question marks um, at the lower part of their lineup. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously. Um, they can't get any better than they did last year, winning the title. So I, I, I still believe that they're going to take a bit of a step back, um, but but those two guys at the top are are pretty awesome, no doubt.
2: Yeah, I, I think Edo, I mean, clearly Ito's on another level right now. I mean, he's just playing head head and shoulders above everybody. But uh, you know, I think what what the good news that that Texas got here is is one of you know somebody that they got to step up and Wolde to to play. Uh, you know, that that looked good and that gives them probably four deep uh, when you take he and Sig's guard and Chi Chi Wong and then you know and then they've still got two other freshmen that they're gonna lie on uh in all likelihood to play at five six but but i mean e- Edo looked great and then how and then just the, how about the underdog story the kid from st mary's damon Casares, making it all the way to the finals i mean that was that was tremendous uh but it was you know it, i i think just seeing seeing Edo roll through two to the two big tournaments in a row that's i mean outstanding by him It's
1: interesting, you made the joke last time, Chris, it's going to be very difficult for Coach Burke to play Siskard above Ido at this point, and it's so rare that we we see these people, you know, that we see any person, let alone um, someone who played two singles last year, come up and sweep these two early, we'll call them Grand Slam, individual events in the college tennis season. He wins the All-American, he wins this one now as well. I mean... Petros was really good, obviously, these past two years, but he didn't have a run like this in individual tournaments. Nuno, same thing, really good. He didn't win back-to-back. I'm trying to think of who the last guy could do it off the top of my head. I know the Virginia players swept a bunch of them. as Mitchell Frank, Damajan, Jarmir Jenkins, intermittently, but to see a player win back-to-back events, I, yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. There's no way they can deny putting Ito at one, and even with that, though, Ito does well, Siscar does well here. Texas is the fun state to be in if you're a college tennis fan.
2: Oh, no no doubt with the schools they have down there, every one of them, I mean, you know, it's a, it's going to be a knockdown drag out battle with with all four of the big schools for sure every time, you know, when they when they play each other.
1: Oh, and I mean, it's not only just that though. You start to see some of the pieces come together throughout the entire draw some of the guys who did well there are guys we expected uh to do well, but then you also have I mean, it's not just, you know, Ito is playing someone from St. Mary's in the final. Like, did anyone draw that up?
0: Of course not. Yeah, of course not. Nobody drew that up. But, I mean, he did get the benefit. I mean, it was a great run by Damon Casaris. I mean, there's no question about it. He did get a walkover, though, from Christian Sigzgard, um in the quarterfinals. So, I mean, if that match would have been played... Is he really making it all the way to the final? I mean, I don't know. He, he could have. Um, and obviously, you know, I thought his win over Ciamara in the semis was, was great because, I mean, Ciamara is really starting to come on. This is a guy that I watch a good bit in the ACC. Very good player. Um, and, and so he made a great run to the semis. I thought he, he really kind of missed an opportunity by, by losing that semifinal match. But, yeah, no, I mean, Damon Casares, I mean, St. Mary's, that's, that's a huge credit to him.
1: Yeah, without question to see all of these guys. You talk about CMR. He's one of the big stars for a Notre Dame team that's looking at this ACC and, like, Yes, UNC is very, very, very good this season, but Virginia, a lot of question marks. We don't know for sure about Nakashima, but it's very unlikely he goes back to school. I mean, for Wake Forest, they lost Petros, they lost Gojo. Yes, they still have Botzer and a lot of pieces, but there's a lot of questions for them at the top of their lineup. Chris, do you see a spot? I mean, this obviously CMR, it's one event, but is there a spot for Notre Dame in the ACC? And just in general, I feel like we haven't really seen any ACC player shine out and grab our our attention at least on the men's side through these early ita events
2: yeah well uh, primarily because you haven't seen blumberg and seguin play in many ita (laughs) events (laughs) and they're they're both they're both playing uh they're both playing the challenger this week right i saw blumberg won earlier today i'm not sure if seguin managed to pull his out or not i think it was he was about to finish the second set and split the last i saw but uh but no i mean i think carolina's clearly i mean certainly Preseason, they're the class of the ACC. But then, uh, you know, can can Notre Dame make some waves? Sure, they can. I mean, they can make some waves. Are are they going to pro- you know challenge for the title? I don't see that happening. But uh, but they're going to be just like they have been. They're going to they're going to be a solid top twenty team, uh, and they're going to win you know win more than they lose. And and you know they'll, they'll be a factor potentially come come NCAAs.
1: I think that's the thing we're all looking for, and Matt, as you look through this draw, um, I mean, you're our ACC expert. Is there anything that you would say to deny what Chris Chris's point?
0: No, not at all. Completely agree with Chris. I mean, Notre Dame will be a very solid team. They're going to be a tough out for for most of the teams in that conference. But I mean, when it comes down to it, they 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 don't have a chance to win um, the (laughs) ACC. That's just that's not going to happen. I'll just I'll go ahead and say it right now. They don't have a chance at that. Um, UNC is just just far too good Um, up and down the lineup depth um, you know skill at the top uh, the whole the whole nine yards so um, yeah no top 20 though for sure and and I could see them you know in that top three four range in the ACC no doubt yeah and
1: so then with that in mind because we do want to get to USC but Chris your takeaway from the event on the men's side
2: I mean, the takeaway just has to be how good Ito is. <laughs> I mean, the kids just—I mean, you 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 start to wonder: it does he does he lose a match? Uh, you know, and and he has to, right? But I mean, gosh, the way the form he's in right now, uh, he's is just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's the big takeaway. You know, I expected there. Well, if you look at the, this part of the draw, you really saw that Gabriel DeCamp's win over Lambling shows that South Carolina has vulnerabilities. Um, that's what <laughs> I was like, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, it was cool on a crack rackets plug note Jesse Gong, Sam Martinelli, the ITL American champ. They lost in the Constellation draw final. But there's a lot of results like that. You see the early runs, how legitimate is it? And, you know, to see Ito win back to back, that's obviously the takeaway. I still continue to say the depth for. Ohio State You see a guy like Cannon Kingsley uh, McNally Seelig All getting shots In the main draw here They have a lot of depth And no they don't have A J.J. Wolf But they're a team I'm constantly circling But my other takeaway And then we'll get to USC On the women's side, women's singles champ, number eight, Sarah Davitella, who's obviously playing on a loaded UNC women's team this year. They could, you know, get the rare sweep of both the men's and women's championships if things break right. She goes on to win uh, the final over number six, Anna Toretty of Texas, 7-6-6-1, almost a Texas sweep here. Um, But... The match point, and in general, Davatella is incredible, and random side note, I had a friend named Alex Najarian, played at Michigan, but she was undefeated in state high school tennis, her senior year loses to Sarah Davitella, Davitella obviously a top recruit in the nation, has been so good for UNC, she serves underhand, I mean this is just incredible, how good do you have to be at everything else at tennis, Matt, to win while serving underhand?
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to be pretty good, especially from the baseline when you're going to do that. But, I mean, you already said, Davitella, she was a big-time recruit, um, you know, and she can play from the baseline. Again, she's she's around my neck of the woods. So um, I see her play quite a bit, and, and she's just she's going to make every single ball, man. I mean, that's just her game. We see it a lot in the women's college tennis, um, you know, three-hour matches, who's going to grind and, and who's going to outlast the opponent. And she can do that with the best of them in the country. So, yeah, no, when it comes down to it, uh, UNC women are, are going to be very, very good. Uh, potentially, uh, that could be a national title team, I think.
1: And it's going to be a fun story to monitor all season long. I mean, she's not the first to do it, but we at the, the Match Point video, if you haven't seen it yet on Twitter, go check it out. It is such a—it's just— I mean, it's like a slight. It's just incredible. Right, you got. You have to see it for yourself. Her, it speaks to how good she is at all things tennis. But. Speaking of good at all things tennis, the program that has dominated the men's tennis side, I would say, over the past 15 years, one of the most dominant, if not the most, probably them and the University of Virginia. Obviously, the most notable, the Steve Johnson, four championships in a row, and then five out of six the year later uh, with Ray Sarmiento, Yannick Hanifman, that crew, of course, the USC Trojans. Head coach Peter Smith was at the head of all of that, and going into this season, he resigns from the job going to pursue tennis work outside of the college realm. In comes former uh, assistant Brett Massey. And Matt, as you looked into your, to your college contender series, that was the question hovering over everything, right?
0: Oh, for sure, without a doubt. I mean, this team, they're going to have a, a little bit of a different look when they take the courts this spring. And, and what is that difference? It's, it's the coach. I mean, Peter Smith for the first time in what 17 years is not going to be stalking those courts. Like we've seen him do time and time again, it's going to be different. It's going to be a bit of an adjustment. Um, You know, coach Massey is, is outstanding. I think he's going to do a great job, but a guy like Peter Smith, I mean, when you win five titles, five rings and you're that dominant, I mean, we're talking about one of the best coaches in college tennis ever. I mean, that's what Peter Smith was. So it's big shoes to fill. Um, it, it definitely is. But the good thing, I think, for Coach Massey is that he's got a team that is, is pretty experienced, and he didn't really lose all that much uh, from last year. So I think he's got a squad that can really go deep.
1: Chris, how much does it help that coach? And is it Massey or Masai? I got to get this right before we
2: interview him. I'm going to assume it's Massey, but.
1: Yeah, okay. We we will clarify with that. And if we butcher this coach, we sincerely apologize. But how big of a factor is it that Coach Masai, before going to Texas Tech, was Peter Smith's assistant at USC to be able to be aware of the culture, be aware of how things work at USC? Plus, you bring back assistant coach Chris Quinta to help familiarize yourself with, as Matt mentioned, a very experienced roster. How do you think that helps Coach Massey as he? approaches this season
2: well i think it's got to help a bunch because he's got an i mean it's probably one of the few schools where you know you know there are are, there are definitely expectations for the tennis program right Uh, maybe a lot of schools that that's not the case yeah they want to win but it's not big i mean the legacy there it's huge right uh and so so there are going to be expectations on him uh, and i'm sure he, he knows that and he was there and he and he knows the culture and he knows a lot of the history and he's got a lot to draw from when he starts talking to to a lot of these guys uh, about what was there before so uh, i think i mean I, I think that'll be a big help and he, and obviously he's he's going to feel at home uh, no doubt
1: and for our fans who aren't aware of his texas tech teams maybe not don't follow it as much as closely as we do he had had some success there he was clearly uh, i think he had some previous success. His second year was his best prior to this year. But I mean, they fostered a culture where they have NCA finalists, NCA champion individuals emerging, and it's hard to succeed at Texas Tech. So what sort of style, you know, what are Coach Massey's credentials for those who are unaware?
2: Well, I mean, he 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 did a great job with with Texas Tech and uh, and building that team uh, and bringing in guys. You know, he had he had Tommy Milnacuff sitting Bjorn Thompson last year, Parker Wynn, who we brought in from from Louisville. But that was that was a tremendous team in the years. Obviously, the years he spent at, uh at. USC were were outstanding but I mean he's he's got he's got all the credentials and I think he had wanted to get back uh, he wanted to get back home to, to Southern California if you will uh, and so it was I mean it was really a, a perfect fit for him uh, to, to get back there
0: and and guys real real quickly I was just going to say after he left USC the first time uh, he took over San Diego's program And so, yeah, he was coaching San Diego and and they were really, really good. I mean, in his, he was there five or six years and they made the tournament almost every year. Um, He really, I mean, elevated that program, I thought, you know, before he got the Texas Tech job. Um, So he's got credentials. I mean, when he's been the head coach, uh, he's produced really good results.
1: And I don't want to focus on the off-court stories because him coming in under the circumstances, everything felt rushed. You know, what really happened with Peter Smith? What is he pursuing? No one's really heard anything. And we could play, you know, a game of speculation, Jones, as long as we want. But that's not the point because this USC team deserves to be recognized. Chris, this was your favorite team heading into NCAAs and really all season long last season. You just kept having an itch about how talented this USC team was. And, you know, we've talked about Coach Massey's credentials. They are there. But returning to looking at this roster, I mean, Brandon Holt had some good summer results, but he's coming back for sure for his senior year. And you can make a case legitimately that he could be the best player in college tennis. And just from him down, they're returning a ton of talent.
2: Oh, I mean, it's ridiculous. Maybe I was a year early, but uh, I, I also I also feel like you know once bitten, twice shy. I mean, can, do I, I? I'm gonna we're gonna have to ask Coach Massey when we talk to him later. I mean, do I dare do it again? Uh, but but I mean, look in in reality, if you look at last year's lineup, they're basically missing Verboven because he was a stalwart in the lineup that that they're missing. Jade got put you know he was he was like the Siebert, right i mean it was like he was always he he was listed and then never played they just kept pulling him all the time and then uh you know and and then a couple guys here or there maybe you know jake devine might have played here or there tanner smith but but you know down at the bottom but basically they're missing Verboven, but they fill they fill that that loss with two really good freshman in Ryder Jackson and, and Stefan Dostanich. And that's, I mean, you're looking at a team here on on, pa- on paper that's actually a more a more solid team.
1: And guys like Logan Smith, Tanner Smith, who had individual success, pro success, or success earlier in their career, who were on the roster last season are obviously gone. And At a certain point, there's this idea of, uh, you know, do you have too much wealth? The team I think, you know, too many good players, not enough great ones. Very hard to figure out that bottom of the lineup. That freshman year team, my 2013-2014 freshman college year, that Virginia team, you had Aragone, you had... Um, you had Daigle, you had Richmond. You just you couldn't figure out what to do at five, six uh, throughout the. You know Justin Shane as well. Um, but this USC team, by proxy of losing some seniors and bringing in some some very easy talented replacements, Matt. I mean, lineup choices aside, there's just a ton to play with.
0: Yeah, they have good depth, and and I think the the lower part of that lineup is going to sort itself out. I mean, guys like Jake Sands, more Bullis, uh, Bradley Fry. They're all back, and and they played. They got some experience last year. We know that these guys can play. So, you know, for me, it comes down to the the top of their lineup is set. I mean, Brandon Holt, Daniel Kukerman, that one-two punch is right up there with pretty much, I mean, we could say the Blumberg-Seguins, the Edo sigs guards, I mean, Crawford, Riffis, those types of of one-two punch tandems I think Holt and Kukerman are right there with those guys. Uh, and on any given day, um, they could win those matches. So when you've got two guys at the top of your lineup that you can trust and you know are going to come through for you, I'm not too worried about their lower part of the lineup because I think they have plenty of guys to choose from. Um, you know, when Chris mentioned the couple freshmen coming in, they, that part will sort itself out. And think about it in dubs. I mean, Smith and Holt... They've played together, it seems like, all four years. I mean, they're both seniors. They have so much experience playing together. That's going to be one of the top teams absolutely in the nation. And so they've got their number one doubles team already who are going to win a bunch of matches. I just, I really like the way that their their lineup is is shaping up.
1: Chris, give me a projected lineup from you. What is the UTR number? What is it all scrambled to mean?
2: be? Uh, well... Right now, it, it would certainly say hole, hole one, Cougarman two, right? That, that's a no-brainer. Bull, Bull is probably three. And then it's a jumble after that. And so I would say that based off of experience, you probably play Riley Smith four. Uh, and then you've got uh, between Jackson and Destonish and the two freshmen, and Jake Sands and Fry, a four-way battle for five, six. Uh, and, you know, and it'll be, you know, it'll be down to whoever's whoever's got form at that point. But I think you know you're not going to be able to go wrong too, too wrong there. I think I think both the two freshmen have both played really well. Uh, they they played some good stuff in the fall. So I don't I kind of I think we're gonna that we're gonna end up seeing. Uh, seeing some action out of those guys like i know i know jackson had beaten james story one other big recruit uh, freshman uh, that came in from uh, from over in the uk uh and and a bunch of these guys have actually played their own teammates uh like in the regional action i think they they get to play each other to i know beat sands i'm not sure i know jackson had played i think one of his own guys as well uh, but uh, but yeah i I'm, I'm almost leaning to thinking that it's going to be those two guys. It'll be the two freshmen at five six, but uh, but I wouldn't count Jake Sands out for sure.
1: In terms of doubles, because Matt made the very bright point, Brandon Holt, Riley Smith, have won pro titles. They've played together so long now. They've been one of the best doubles teams in the country. Uh, which of the guys on the roster, obviously Cookerman, but who else has the sort of doubles experience? Who are you looking to in that lineup? Because that's always the question going into the year, right? Is Can you find three doubles combos?
2: Yeah, well, I'm I Kugerman can play dubs. I mean, I I don't really I don't know about the freshman or really even even stands or Fry to know. I think Fry got some some doubles action in uh, last year, but uh, but yeah, I think that's the big question. If you can get uh, uh, if you can get two guys two two at least two super solid. Obviously, you got one great doubles team. If you can get another good team in there, and I think Cookerman's very capable, then I mean that lineup's going to be very tough to beat. Uh, you know, if they if they can win dubs.
1: And you talk about who's going to play that lineup the most. Obviously, they're Pac-12 opponents, Matt. I'm sure we will talk about—actually, I don't know if we're going to talk about UCLA or Stanford. I don't think either of them are inside of the top 10. So you look preseason-wise, this USC team appears to be the team to beat— uh, in the conference. And is that how I, I would say that's fair? I would say with their returning experience, given a lot of unknowns at the other two, although Geller Rothstart won two at Stanford, you know, that's pretty solid. Keegan Smith and uh, Govan Nando one two at UCLA, that's pretty solid. But the depth for USC stands out. So where do you place them in the conference?
0: Yeah, no, I, I've got them up at the top. They're my favorites to win the Pac 12 this year. I mean, I, UCLA and Stanford are, are not far behind. I mean, they're going to be tough. They're very good teams. But when I look at it, man, just the experience out of those top guys and then the depth. I mean, we talked about it. They have options for five and six, um, which, is, which is a great thing. I mean, not every team has that luxury of having those options down at the lower part of the lineup. So for me, without question, this is my favorite team uh, in the Pac-12. I think they can win it.
1: Chris, same thing. Speak to the Pac-12 and then nationally. How are you feeling about them headed in?
2: Oh, they're they're for sure the the preseason favorite in the Pac-12. I think they're they're top five uh, nationally. So they're 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 an, they're absolutely a contender. That's going to be uh, they're probably the first team I would say in my mind that's right on the heels of what I would say is a Florida North Carolina preseason one-two. Uh, right there, I mean. They're, they're that neck they're in that very next group that's so close. it's hard to even say that they're not in the same group.
1: They're the experienced Texas team from last year that had come close that had a ton of depth, good one, two, but you know nothing really f- stands out as unbelievable on paper, just everything really solid. yeah, this is that type of team despite having a first year coach. I would agree with you. I would also say, again, you look for them last season, the way it ended. They were a top eight seed. They hosted uh, number nine UNC. Now, of course, UNC ended up going to the semifinals, and maybe them being seeded that low was more of them underperforming during the regular season than anything else. But it didn't matter that they were a top eight seed, and they weren't able to defend the home turf. And when that sort of thing happens, you can only imagine— when it what it can do to fuel a returning team. That also has to deal with the fact that they do have a new coach. There are going to be those sorts of questions hanging around the team, and given their experience, it seems like a group that could come together and just have everything kind of sort of go their way. Them being the experienced team, other teams get injured, they have the depth to sort of withhold, uh, you know, stand together through some sorts of injuries during the season because they can do so many different things five through eight. If uh, Stefan Dostanich hits, if he can be a top three player that's another bonus to their lineup I, I agree with you chris i think this is going to be a usc team to be very fond of now indoor tennis has never been their best obviously but i'm gonna be really interested to see not only what they're seated as they head into the indoors but how they do against that top-notch competition i guess we'll, we'll end here because i know we got to go do our interview chris but matt then chris give me your predictions where does this team end up when come year end
0: yeah, no, I mean, I think they're for sure going to host a super regional. They're going to get to that quarterfinal stage, make it to uh, Oklahoma. And then at that point, I mean, I think it kind of depends on their seed, right? Like, are they, are they going to be like a three or a four seed where they can avoid Florida and North Carolina until the final four? Or do they have to play Florida or UNC, you know, in that quarterfinal round? I think that's going to be important. Um, so I'm going to say final four. I mean, semifinals, I think they can make it there, no question. Um, At that point, yeah, they could go further. They could cause an upset. But right now, I still have to say that I like Florida and UNC just a little bit more. So those would be my two teams that right now I have in the finals. Uh, So I'll go ahead and say that USC ends top four.
1: Let the record show the first upset Matt Sikoyak has ever picked. Um, All right, with that in mind, Chris, your thoughts as well.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm right with Matt on where I think they end up. I think they get to the. I think they get to the semis. I do think they'll be a a three three through six and successfully get to uh, say avoid, uh, assuming all those teams all stay healthy. Right, it never ends up the way we think, but probably avoid that that Florida North Carolina, if you will, uh, and, and make it there. And uh, and they have a shot to even you know, and I think they've got a good shot at at even getting. Getting even into the, up into the top because they've got some uh, they've got some good matches outside of the conference that they're going to play with teams like Texas and Wake Forest uh, and Ohio State. Uh, oh, do they play Ohio State as well? They do. Them plenty of to uh, to rack up some good ranking points uh, prior to prior to the NCAAs. so.
1: Yeah, but it, I think gonna...
2: I think semis is semis is what they're at a minimum. That's what they're. I mean, obviously they're looking to win it all. But I think uh, I think for sure they're 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 a good good team to with the shot for for semifinals.
1: This is going to be a very strong squad. There's no denying that. The tennis gods like to reward us when we're kind to them, and I think the gods are going to reward us with a USC-UNC-NCA rematch that we all want to see. A lot of the same characters from last year, so even though it's a very respectful rivalry, there certainly would be those sort of tensions, and I always love when we have some tension going into a good UNC match. So yeah, I think that's about right Semifinal, certainly. This is a team, if you're making a list of, can this team win a national championship? I would say, for TCU, Chris might say yes. I would probably say no this year, I think, for Mississippi. I don't know. Matt, would you say no for TCU as well? I would say no. Chris, I guess I'll let you actually answer as opposed to putting words in your mouth.
2: Would I say no to TCU for what?
1: To win a title this year. I don't, that's not yeah, I agree. So we would say no to TCU, no to Mississippi State. I think this is the first team we all agree can definitely, if things break right, win the national title. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, all right. So with that in mind then, we, uh, you know, that's our conversation. USC team to watch. Be on the lookout for that. Be also on the lookout for our conversation with USC head coach Brett Massey, which Chris and I are about to do. Uh, Matt, real quick, preview of next week. Do you know who we got?
0: Oh, man. I don't even know yet. I'll I'll look it up.
1: I love it. So we will keep that on the lookout. But as always, be sure to check out this podcast, the Great Shop podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast. We are getting you ready for college season. We are winding down the professional tour, all of those things. And as always, a huge shout out to our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing <laughs> editing job to do, as always. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, Chris Halliores and Matt Stokowiak, for our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Ch- Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host. Alex Gruskin guys what do we tell our listeners that's a break that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone